Father, this morning's topic is crucial. It has to do with our spiritual health, but even our physical health. It has to do with your longing to give us blessings in so many areas of our lives. And so, Father, I just really want to ask that you would take over this morning, that you would grab a hold of our hearts, grab a hold of our ears, take hold of my tongue. May your word be what is focused on. May your word do what you have sent it for this morning. May it change our hearts. May it lead us to the freedom and joy that is found in forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I headed up the road, a long, winding mountain road, I was driving by myself. I was headed home from school. And I don't know whether to describe it as the longest car ride of my life or as the very shortest. Because in some ways it felt like the shortest, in some ways it felt like the very longest. Just anticipating what waited for me at the end of that drive. You see, I'd really messed up at school that day, made some serious mistakes. Actually, it was a cascade of mistakes that had led me to this point. That day, I had gotten caught for the third time cheating on a test. And in our school, that meant third time was the charm in which third strike, you are suspended from school. My mom already would have gotten a call, so I knew that when I got home, I don't know. I didn't know, actually. And that's why it was really short, because I I wanted to put it off as long as possible. I, I may have even taken the longest route home, possibly. But you know, a lot of things had led up to this point in my life. I had made a lot of bad choices. And at this point, I wouldn't have been surprised if I got home and my mom had simply packed my bags and had everything on the front porch for me to leave and to walk away because they'd given me the car too. (laughs) I didn't know what to expect. And the way that I was treating people at this this time in my life, it would have been surprising at all if that's the way my mom treated me. I mean, I had this anger issue in my heart at this time. I remember playing in this basketball game. It was against some of the alumni from our school, and one of them was a youth pastor, and he was there playing in the game, and he said some stuff during, to me during that game, some stuff that I thought a youth pastor should never say. He's talked about my dad, right? So he's talking about my family. And I remember getting so upset, playing very aggressively against him. I remember going into the locker room and slamming my fist at, at one of the, the, the timeouts, just slamming my fist into the locker until it was bleeding. At least I didn't do that to him, I figured. But I had this aggression, this sense of I need to make things right and things aren't getting right. And this anger that was inside of me, it was boiling over. And maybe that's why I was cheating on things. And I remember that the day when I actually got the second of the three strikes against me in cheating, it wasn't even my fault. This other guy was turned around and looked at my math test and the teacher thought that I was trying to get him to cheat on my test. Life wasn't fair. Things weren't going my way. I was upset, and I wouldn't have been surprised if my mom was really upset with me. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, we talked about the amazing promise that God gives us in Ezekiel chapter 36 and how he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a, a tender soft heart that can feel again, that that can have those emotions like the heart of God. And he he goes on to say, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my judgments and my statutes and to do them. I'm going to lead you to be a loving person like I am. Paul, the one that we talked about last week, who was converted through seeing the kindness of God revealed to him as God just showed up and didn't show up to punish him but showed up to give him a mission to tell the world about the goodness of Jesus Christ. That Paul is writing here to the Ephesians in chapter 4. And look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger. Does this sound like the kind of person that I was at this stage in my life? 
I was full of bitterness. There were people that were annoying in my life. There were people that I was angry at how they treated me. I had hurt inside that that wasn't taken care of. Let all bitterness, wrath, I was definitely filled with a lot of wrath as I was beating things up that I shouldn't have been. Anger, clamor, uh, that's like uh, creating a, a ruckus over things, and I definitely tended to do that. I remember the one day when in the, the, the gym was closed, and I got really upset about that, and I remember going into the gym locker room and vandalizing the gym locker room because I was upset that they didn't have the gym open for me to go and be able to play basketball that day. I was filled with all types of ungodly, unrighteous things. It goes on to say, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It says, get rid of this stuff out of your life. That anger, that stuff that is in your life, you need to get rid of it. But then it keeps on going and it gives us a picture of how this can take place. In verse 32, and it says, and be kind to one another. Yeah, that's what I needed to learn. I needed to learn how to be kind to people. And you think about your relationships in your life. If people were just kind to you, wouldn't it make your relationships a whole lot easier? If you were just kind to other people, wouldn't it make your relationships a whole lot easier? Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. There's that whole idea of that, that heart, heart. That, that heart of stone being taken out of you and being given a tender heart. Be tender-hearted. Being able to empathize, to, to, to feel what somebody else is going through, to, to recognize the pains and sorrows, the, the things that, that are, are going on in other people's lives. Be tender-hearted. And then I believe this is the crucial part. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Now we're going to come back to this in a second, but I want you to look with me at a fascinating story about a man who was filled with anger, who was filled with wrath. Go with me to John, uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. First of all, we'll start with some, a question that that Peter asked about forgiveness. Matthew 18 and verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him, and Jesus has been talking about, if you find somebody that's sinning a sin, go and you should address them with it, and you should do it one-on-one, and then the two of you should go. And, and just this, this picture of reconciliation in Matthew 18. Peter asked, coming to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now Peter here is looking at it and he's saying, okay, the scribes and the Pharisees, they say three times and you're out. Just like me and cheating at school. Like three times you can forgive. But after that, it's over. Peter knows Jesus really well. He knows that Jesus teaches this ethic of generosity and of love and of mercy. And he, he says, okay, Jesus, so, so how many times should we forgive before we lay down the law and before we stop forgiving? Up to seven times? I'll double it, Jesus. I'm, I'm saying it's even further, even more. I'll use that perfect number seven. Up to seven times, Jesus? Is that how much forgiveness we should offer to people? Verse 22 continues, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. This is just phenomenal. Jesus says not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Just 490. And so just in case you're thinking to get out your notepad and to start putting tally marks down with your wife, with your kids and some of you parents may be past 490 and you're saying, oh, this is the proof. I no longer need to forgive little Johnny anymore. He's done. Look up the number 490. This is just homework for you this afternoon. Maybe we'll look at it sometime. But the number 490 is significant in the Bible. It's significant in Bible prophecy and it reveals the loving forgiveness of God. But here Jesus isn't just trying to give us a number that we should attain, and then after that, we are done forgiving. But instead, he's trying to give this picture of a forgiveness that never ends. So he goes on to say, 
verse 23, jumps into a story. Because this is how Jesus would illustrate teachings. He didn't just tell the, the disciples how to live, but he gave them these beautiful stories. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So this king wants to settle his accounts, meaning he has donated, he's, he's allowed these different servants to have sums of money and to use it for the king's business. And in using that for the king's business, he expects that they're going to be faithful in their accounting and that that money is going to come back to him eventually. So these people have been given money by the king. And verse 24, he's settling these accounts. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We talked about this once before. This is an astronomical figure. In today's money, we might look at it as something like $115 million. Now, some of you may have that kind of cash sitting around, but that's a lot of money that that this king had put in his direction and that had been not given back to the king. Verse 25, But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Verse 26, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Just, just give me a little more time, and I'll pay back that $115 million. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to make $115 million in your life, but this is the kind of thing that he's thinking that he's going to be able to accomplish. He says, no problem. I will pay this back to you. This is problem number one for this servant. This servant believes that his problem is of a size that he can fix it. And in our lives, a lot of times the anger that we come into, in my, at least that I've experienced in my life, is because I think that I can fix my problems. I think that I'm in control. I try to take control of my life, and I get angry when I lose control of it. So he thinks that he can pay it back, and he says, I, I promise that I'll pay it back. And verse 26 uh, Continue, verse 27, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. So how much does the master forgive him? He forgives him the entire debt. All of it is forgiven to this servant. This is the crucial point in our lives. Do you recognize that what we looked back at last week in 2 Corinthians 5 is a reality for you that Christ died for all of your sins? That He was made sin so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. See, this man, all of his debts were paid, but he didn't accept this in his life. He didn't live as if this were a reality. We know this because the story goes on in verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now here's a question for you. Where do you think this hundred denarii had come from? This man is doing business and he's out loaning money to people. He has a debt to the king of $115 million. Here he has something like maybe it's $8,000. Where do you think that money came from that he lended to the servant? The king. It was the king's money to begin with. He got it from the king. He's doing business with it. And so he finds this servant and he says, here's a guy that owes me $8,000. Does he owe him $8,000? He owes the king. Everything that this servant had really had come from the king and he had given it out to the servant. But here he goes trying to to get back, to get back what is his, and you see the angry way that he goes about it. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. This guy's got an anger issue. He's throttling him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. And why is he doing this? Could it be that he still thinks he's got to pay back the king? He somehow thinks, well, yeah, maybe the king forgave me, but if I do enough good, I could figure out a way to to get myself back in favor with the king. He has this workspace mentality 
And it's not working out for him. He's a very angry person because he hasn't been fully forgiven. He hasn't allowed that forgiveness to fully sink into his heart. Does that make sense? He's, he's got this problem because he's not really allowed this groundwork to be laid of forgiveness. You know, anger is a really dangerous thing. You see this guy going and throttling people's throats, and we see people with, with anger, and we think that they are a danger to society. But it's pretty fascinating that they're not just a danger to society, but they're actually a danger to themselves when they're angry. Not just because they drive their cars too fast when they're upset, but when we are angry, it actually causes damage to our bodies. So this book is a really good book if you want to, to learn about the medical side, the psychological side of forgiveness. I encourage you to, to check out this book. It's Forgive to Live. It doesn't look a lot at the biblical side of forgiveness, but it's by uh, Dr. Dick Tibbetts, published by Thomas Nelson in Florida Hospital. He's done a lot of studies on what takes place with forgiveness. And literally, when he says forgive to live, he means when you experience forgiveness in your life, that it releases you into a better, more healthy life. You really can forgive to live. He tells about, in this book, about a study that proved that anger kills. This guy, Dr. Williams, and quoting from this, this book, says, the Dr. Williams discovered that those people with the highest anger scores, so he went and he did an anger test on 225 medical school students. They're in med school, and apparently this was the best group to do the study on. He did the study on them. And then 25 years later, it says while they were in medical school, he did this test, and then those that had the highest Sorry, we'll start it over. Dr. Williams discovered that those people with the highest anger scores while they were in medical school also had the highest incidences of heart disease and death 25 years later. Anger actually has a physical impact on your body. If you, if you doubt this connection between your mind and your body, there's a, a fun, little, fun little experiment he does in the book where he says, Clench your fists as hard as you can. So I want you to do that right now. Raise your, raise your two hands up. Just make sure you're going to do this. Okay. And I'm going to count down for five seconds, and I want you to just clench your fists as hard as you can, as hard as you possibly can for five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. Now you can breathe. Did you notice what happened in your body while you were doing that? Most of you weren't breathing. I didn't tell you not to breathe. Most of you were clenching your teeth. Uh, you had this, it, the things you don't realize were happening is actually your body began to incle- increase. He, he talks about in here your cholesterol, your blood pressure. That actually has a physical response in your body. Now your body, is, your mind is able to do these types of things and it can be helpful for you at certain times. For instance, if there were a grizzly bear when we walked outside, thankfully there aren't grizzly bears in California, your body has a system that can create a response that gives you the energy to be able to escape more quickly from a bear than usual. These types of things are, are spawned through anger, and yet they don't go away if we hang on to that anger. The Bible has a principle where it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's not just for spiritual reasons. It actually physically damages you to hang on to anger. And for some of you, you may be thinking, well, I'm not angry, but I am bitter. <laughs> I do hang on to the hurt, the, 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 the angst about this situation that I'm in. Anger manifests itself in a lot of different ways. I think that's why Paul said bitterness, anger, wrath. He, he goes down the whole list. There's so many of these things that are harmful to us. In fact, he goes on to, to list a, a, what was written in Circulation Magazine. Talk, it's a magazine that talks about heart health. May 5, 2000. says, A person who is most prone to anger is three times more likely to have a heart attack than someone who is least prone to anger. The heart uh, organization has actually recognized this and added anger to be one of the problems that can cause heart issues. 
Forgiveness isn't just about a spiritual issue. You see this in the story as the man goes and he grabs the throat of his servant. I mean, this is his business partner who he has loaned money to. They're in business together. And now he's grabbing him by the throat. And then look at what happens. He's, he grabs him by the throat in verse 29. Then it says, So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. I'll pay you all. Uh, 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 just have patience. Have you heard this somewhere before? This is exactly what he had said to the king about his $115 million debt. And now he's here with this little tiny debt and this servant is begging for mercy. But verse 30 says, And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, don't miss this. This is crucial for us to understand as Christians in 2018. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is crucial for us to experience forgiveness. And as we look at this story, we recognize that this guy is not a happy guy. In the book talking about forgiveness here on page 36, it says closely related to the issue of forgiveness is the degree of happiness we experience in life. The quickest way to happiness is to let go both of your ideas about your rights and your sense of what someone else owes you. Letting go of your rights and letting go of your sense of what someone else owes you can free you up and give you a whole new sense of happiness. But how is that possible? I mean, how can we really experience this in our lives? Is it really possible for us to... Some of you may be sitting here today, and you've been hurt deeply. You've been hurt in ways that, that I can't even imagine. You've lived through some things that I know are incredibly painful. I've heard some of your stories, and I know some of the things you've been through. There's a lot of pain that we have gone through in our lives. How do we really experience forgiveness like this? Well, the beautiful picture that Paul goes on to give us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we were just reading it, says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The crucial thing for us to remember this morning is that the very foundation of forgiveness is the forgiveness that we've been given. You can't forgive if you don't recognize the forgiveness you've been given. We forgive others in the same exact way that Christ has forgiven us. This is the picture of forgiveness that the Bible wants us to get as this this. King says, why didn't you have that same pity that I showed to you? Why didn't you show that pity to others? Why don't you pass that same compassion on to others? Why, why couldn't you share that same exact thing? Christ's Object Lessons, page 251, says this, The ground of all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God. But by our attitude toward others, we show whether we have made that love our own. In the end, Jesus tells us that it's going to come down and and the Father will forgive those who have forgiven others. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer itself, we pray, forgive our debtors as we forgive, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. There is something revealing in our own lives that if we are clinging to bitterness, if we're clinging to anger, if we're clinging to these things against somebody, if we're not forgiving, 
then it reveals that we haven't truly let the love of God sink in to our hearts. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a few more practical things at the end, but before we do that, I figured the best thing, actually Lee and I were talking about, what could we do this week? Who could we have to come share about forgiveness? And what we wanted to do today is to get a panel of you who have experienced things in your life that you've had to forgive or maybe that you have had to seek forgiveness for. And we wanted to allow you to share some of the practical insights that you have about how we can learn to forgive better. So I want to invite those who were part of that panel to come forward and Leah to come forward to tell us a little bit more about the experience you've forgiven, you've gotten, and the experience of forgiving. You're not moving too quickly. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Jeff and Stephen and Leo and Beverly and Jan to come forward. Awesome. Thank you. Steve, are you going to join us as well? So thankful for... Each person's willingness just to share a little bit today. You know, the reality is we've all had to face forgiveness in one way or another. Um, As Zach mentioned, some of us have gone through terrible things that have caused immense amounts of hurt. And some of us have to extend forgiveness on a daily basis just around the house. Little things that maybe are hurtful or annoying or a comment. Or maybe some things even happened at church or in your workplace. And so all of us have dealt with forgiveness in a different way. And we're going to just share a little bit about that this morning. So I have two handheld mics, and we don't have to go in any particular order. You just pass them around as you want to speak. You just reach out. But let's just dive right into it. How did God help you forgive. You don't have to share the particular situation if you don't want to, but what are some of the things that God has done for you or led you to to help you to be able to forgive people that have hurt you? I uh, grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, and I always, you know, tried to do what was right. I never really felt that I was that bad of a person. And I just remember the first day that God showed me what my heart was really like. And I can remember where I was. And it just broke my heart. I, um, I've never had such a horrible sense of um, unworthiness and um, hypocrisy. And um, ever since that experience... I have just come to appreciate forgiveness so much more. Anyone else? How has God helped you to forgive? Has he given you experiences like that or opened your eyes to anything that's enabled you to forgive? Um, Yeah, the the Lord has really worked and helped in um, my situation. I'll try and get through this without getting too emotional but um, both of my parents were alcoholic and my earliest remembrances were my dad walking out on my mother and leaving her when I was two and she was crawling on her knees begging him to stay and then she started drinking. And most of the time, when I was young, she was passed out. And I can remember walking to school with my pants unbuttoned and my shoes untied, crying. And up until adulthood, I just had these horrible feelings of unworthiness and hopelessness. And I got into some groups for adult children of alcoholics. And, you know, God was out there. You know, I had gone to an academy. You know, I was smoking weed, and my sister was an Adventist. She convinced me to go to an academy. So I had initial contact with the Lord. And then, you know, as I grew up, and all these issues are still with me. And I was got out of a group one day, and I was driving home. And, you know, at this time, I wasn't walking with the Lord at all and, you know, listening to rock and roll. And and I was driving down the highway that I used to listen to rock and roll on all the time, you know. 
And after I got out of that meeting, I was, I guess you could say I was praying, but I was screaming at the Lord. I was just angry and just having a tirade. And I was just screaming at God, why did I have alcoholic parents? And why was I abused so badly? And why and why and why? And the Lord changed the radio station without me touching it. At the same place where I always listen to rock and roll going down the highway, and the radio station just went. And in came another radio station on the same, the, the dial didn't change. Another radio station came in, and it was a Christian radio station. What were they talking about? Alcoholic parents and people that abuse their children. And they didn't know any better. And if they would have known any better, they wouldn't have abused the children the way they did. And I started crying, you know. And I knew that the God of heaven had taken time out of his busy schedule to listen right then and right there. And I don't know how long after that, but work through the issues, you know, because if you forgive somebody and you don't know what you're forgiving them for, guess what? You used to get stuck with the baggage, and that done a lot of work. And then my mom um, had drove down to Southern California. I was living in Nevada at that time and had a massive brainstem stroke. And so I jumped in the car and was driving down there. And so, and that was the place where she had the stroke was where I grew up. And so, you know, and the doctor told me that her prognosis is very, I'll never forget the word, grim. It's not good. You know, when the doctor tells you that prognosis is grim, I said, okay. And so I was going out and, you know, my childhood home and, and I went to this meeting and we were talking about, guess what, forgiveness. And, you know, this one, this one gal across the room, I was talking about my mom being in the hospital, and she said, yeah, well, she had to make her amends to her mom when her mom was laying dead in the box. And so I thought, okay, well, I was planning on going, doing a little tour around my childhood home, but no, I went back to the hospital, and, you know, she couldn't conjugate her eyes, she couldn't speak, you know, she was needing assisting breathing, you know, with with, uh, the respirator, she and she didn't have any use of her extremities except a little bit of grip in her left hand, and you know I told her, oh, "Mom, you know, um, I'm glad you're my mom. I love you, and I can forgive you for what happened when I was a kid." And I just told her that I loved her, and I, she, she squeezed my hand really hard, and um, as much as she could at that time. And I told her I'd see her in the morning. And well, guess what? She went into a a coma that night and never regained consciousness and then a, a few days later um, you know I could just obviously she was coding and you know they were going to call a code and I said no no look you know that's not what my mom wants she's got a living will and she does not want to be resuscitated and so they called off the code and then this this nurse who let's just say wasn't very kind went to, went to lunch and then this the charge nurse came in and she just said, well, you know, the mom you knew left a while ago, you know. And it looks like she's struggling to breathe, but she's really not. She was having with called Braxton Hicks um, breathing. And she said, it looks like she's gasping, but she's really not. And, you know, and she said, well, you seem so calm for what's going on here. And I said, well, you know, mom's an alcoholic and, you know, she's a nurse and she got sober. And um, we've dealt with these things that cause so much pain. And, and uh, now it's, it's all good. There's nothing left to do, you know. And she said, wow, that's amazing. And she said, my dad was an alcoholic, and I didn't know there was any, any groups like this, you know. And so she passed away. And then five years later, I went back to the same medical center and went up, and here she is, still working there. On the, I just happened to find her there, and she said, well, you know what? I just happened to be working here this weekend, and now I'm teaching in the School of Nursing, and I use you guys as experience in the death and dying class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's powerful. Wow, 
Thank you so much for sharing that from the Change Radio Station to the different groups of people to just what God did for you at that last minute. That's awesome. Anyone else before we go? The next question here. What's God done to help you be able to forgive? Um, so there's a, there's a thing called hypoxia, and some of you will probably know what that is. And it, basically what hypoxia is, is it, um, it's a lack of oxygen to your brain. And the worst thing about hypoxia is that it masks its own effects, so you don't notice that it's happening to you. But even when you have it, you can usually tell when it's happening to somebody else. And I think we as people, I know for sure that I do that, we're really, really good at finding everything everybody else does wrong. Mm. And we usually don't accept that we do most of or all of or probably more than that ourselves. Mm. And part of what the sermon was about is pity. What do we usually want when we're in trouble? And that's pity. Well, since we're so good at picking out everybody's problems, what you should you know, experience there is not anger, especially if it's towards you, but pity, because not only, and it's you know, not that you're feeling sorry for them, not that you're better than them, but that you're probably worse than them, even at whatever you notice that they are doing. And that's your opportunity to make life easier for them in some way, even if it's just forgiving them. Because, like, again, the pastor said a few weeks ago at a sermon, all of life in heaven is basically about social. Everything has to do with your relationship with God and other people. And that's your opportunity, since you're really good at it, to see what everyone does wrong, is to forgive them for it. So we're just going to be really real up here. All of us have dealt with anger or bitterness or resentment at some time, maybe over something really small, maybe over something really big. But what would you say to someone out there who's saying, I just can't get over it. I'm just so bitter. I'm so resentful. I feel so upset. I wish I could be forgiving, but I can't. I just can't feel it. I, I even say, I forgive you, but I know I don't. Any tips that you would give, maybe from your own experience? I guess what I, the first thing I would say is um, don't beat yourself up about it because it's not something that you can do on your own. So I think it's important to accept um, that truth about yourself. And um, I'm always a, a question person, and so when Leah asked me if I would be part of this panel, um, I asked myself a question um, how can I truly forgive others until I've humbled myself to Jesus? And I th- then I thought, well, you know, how would other people answer that question? Because I didn't really, I mean, it came to my mind, so I know the Lord gave that question to me. And I looked up uh, just on, online, and uh, the best explanation I found was actually something that popped up from Billy Graham's website. And uh, he had a list of 12 ways to humble yourself. And one of the ones that I just wanted to share is uh, be quick to forgive Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35. It said, forgiveness is possibly one of the greatest acts of humility we can do. Uh, to forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done us. And this is, this is important. And also to further release our right of repayment for the wrong. Uh, forgiveness is self-denial. And forgiveness is not insisting on our own way and our own justice. And for me, I had a lot of pride in my life because I was really angry. And that pride is kind of what helped me uh, get through my early years. And it took the form of, well, I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, you're not going to, you know, step on me like a bug. I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to make it through this. So that I had to come, you know, to the point of forgiving my parents. And I, I couldn't make sense of how to go about that. And so that's where I really thought, I have to depend completely on the Lord for this. And, um, and what I realized was that until I came to him, asked him to fill my heart, my heart had to be cleaned out before that love could come in, and that's where that forgiveness comes from. So it's really a process of letting God come into your heart, letting God do that work to change you, kind of like we were talking about last week, that we can't take our stony hearts out on our own, but God can remove our stony hearts. He can give us hearts of flesh, and as we rely on him to do that, he can really work a beautiful thing of forgiveness. And I guess the last thing I would just add is that if you're faced with a situation, I do this all the time uh, with my husband, (laughs) who, you know, really knows how to get under my skin. I just, before I say something to him, I pray, and I get that image of Jesus, and I just, you know, want to use that as a filter because I truly, I kind of don't trust myself yeah, no. Well, first I should say that I think Victoria should be here in this seat instead of me because she's the expert mm-hmm. on forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But I do have some experience with what Pastor Zach was describing, and that is bitterness and anger. And this is not a confessional. I'll just say that it can eat at your heart and destroy in a way that nothing else can. My tip for dealing with that is in a different, slightly different interpretation of the uh, 490 times to forgive, and that is when you have that bitterness come back, forgive again. And when it comes back again, forgive again and again and again and again. And keep doing it until it goes away. And I think that will work. It's kind of like surrendering. I know Jan was telling me recently you have to surrender. And I said, but it's so hard. She said you might have to say it over and over and over again. And I think that's what you're getting at is every time that comes, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please give me forgiveness for that person. Jeff, how would you say your own heart was impacted through forgiveness? Like, what was what did it look like before? What did it look like after? Just share a little bit from your experience. I, I view um, the spirit of unforgiveness, I, I would say, is like this ball and chain uh, that you carry around with you. So um, letting things go is very liberating, to say the least. Uh, I have someone very close to me that... Um, just to build on this whole medical connection here that um, just generally has that spirit of unforgiveness and he's had it for half of his life and um, the, he has spent the last half of his life I would say not living but dying because of it falling into a depression and now he's in a, uh, a nursing home and can do absolutely nothing for himself as a result of just the physical impact of that. And it's a horrible thing to see, to watch happen. So let's ask a question, because sometimes we talk about forgiving and forgetting, and we don't always forget when these traumatic things especially, maybe we forget the little injustices on the day-to-day, but when it's something that really impacts your life, that's hard to forget. So do you think it's possible to forgive even when you can't forget? I see a lot of heads nodding. Does anyone want to add to that at all? There were a lot of yeses in the audience. Uh, Maybe they (laughs) could answer better. Um, I personally feel like you have to forget. And by that I mean whatever it was, 
that you are holding on to that is eating at you, it has to go away just from a practical standpoint. So maybe not forgetting, but letting go. Would you say that? I mean, sometimes you can't get it out of your mind, right? But you can at least not let it bother you. Surely God has amnesia. He said, oh, remember our sins no more. So let's just forget. I don't remember. Well, they, they say that it's a proven fact that the more you rehearse an event or something that's happened, the bigger it gets. So I think it, it requires discipline, but I think uh, submitting those thoughts to God every 30 seconds is what it takes sometimes. Initially, that um, God rewards that by taking it away. And it's kind of amazing to look back later and think those feelings that I had towards that person or for that situation, you just don't have them anymore. And like we talked about last week, you know that you couldn't have done that on your own, but God has taken that away. Let's transition a little bit, not from offering forgiveness, but for asking forgiveness. I'm sure all of us have been in the situation where we ourselves have done something wrong. We're the ones having to ask. Why do you think it's so hard to ask forgiveness of someone? I think it has to do with our lack of forgiveness, like Bev was saying, of ourselves. Because as hard as it is to go to people and ask for forgiveness, I found that with only one exception, forgiveness has been freely given. And um, it's amazing that sometimes we wait so long when it is so freely given. I think it has a lot to do with both uh, pride and embarrassment. That's really not fun to ask for forgiveness for stuff you did wrong. And you've obviously thought about it a lot at that point. You feel even worse about it. How have you felt when you've actually done that, though? Have you had an experience like that where it's super awkward or you can't even forgive yourself or you're feeling just embarrassed or whatever, but you put yourself out there, you ask for that forgiveness? No matter how it's received, how does that usually impact your own heart? I just had a thought. Um, There's also, a, um, I think, a fear that the person won't forgive you. and uh, I think that's what causes a lot of hesitation. But anyway, if somebody wants to tackle it, we'll um, How does it feel? It's like letting a person out of prison. And then you find out you were the prisoner. Yeah. Leo, do you want to tell him what you told me last night about the poison? Right. I was watching one uh, psychiatrist on, on uh YouTube and he's talking about um, he's having a psychiatrist and he said well you know resentment is like drinking poison and hoping this other person dies over here and um, you know it was just it was just wild because you know um, Pastor Zach shared a story about this woman in um, Rwanda who would uh, had been um, her husband had been killed, and she had been uh, mortally wounded, and her right arm was severely damaged. And um, the Lord, where I work in the prison, just opens up these conversations. And this one guy shows up late, and, and he's the last person of the day, and we had an hour and a half to talk. We just talked the whole time. It was just amazing. And I'm not going to go into his medical history but has had you know some severe damage and was able to share that story with him you know I mean he said well maybe I could I don't know you know and so well the Lord's not done you know we have to understand what the issues are really before we can forgive otherwise it's like we hold on to this baggage you know so yeah it's liberating that story is really awesome it's from Rwanda when the genocide was happening that a young guy came and hurt this man and his wife and killed the husband, really hurt the wife, and in the end ended up coming back asking forgiveness and the woman actually took him into her own home and treated him like a son because of all of his family was gone now. And I think God was really preparing Leo yesterday because before we even texted saying, hey, would you be willing to share, 
God had already opened up for you multiple conversations throughout the day on forgiveness. And so his thoughts were already going that way. He was thinking about these things, sharing these things, and then God had Zach text you. The same time I was talking to him was the time that Zach was texting me. Yeah, God definitely had something in mind. So one last question here. How has forgiveness impacted your relationships just in general? Maybe it's just the day-to-day little things, annoying person at work, hurtful person at church, someone in your family that did something, or the big things like abuse or divorce or unfaithfulness or these type of things. How has forgiveness impacted your relationships? I just I want to add to the last question is that when you ask forgiveness from someone, you are allowing yourself to be extremely vulnerable. And that vulnerability is what was hurt when to create that um, anger or whatever happened that you built up that resentment. So it's like you're reopening that that wound again to that person that may have hurt you. So um, I I just think that you know you you have to be vulnerable and uh, the forgiveness part uh, can only happen. The relationship can only be rebuilt is when uh, you have that vulnerability and uh, you know have that love from Christ. Uh, come over the relationship. And um, I guess I don't particularly forget. I use that as uh, things to look back and said, you know, I'm really proud of myself. There's the pride again. I'm really proud of myself that I was able to uh, be bigger and allow Christ to be within me to work on that. So I don't kind of... St- store them up in a little black Not box. continue to stew over it. Right. But I just use it as an example. Okay, last couple here. Anyone want to share how forgiveness has impacted your relationships? Jeff. I guess, <laughs> sure. Um, I guess I'd say that uh, when you don't have that baggage anymore, it just uh, gives you that freedom to move forward. Um, I've had experiences where you know, knowing in, in my heart what God expects of me, uh, you know, to forgive others. And I think I've done that. I've even uttered those words, you know, I forgive you, um, uh, only to realize when somebody mentions that person's name in a certain context, there's certain emotions that start coming up to the surface. And so back to your very first question, my advice, too, would be to just remember that it doesn't necessarily go away that those feelings of anger and I really do daily have to be on your knees to pray not just for that person but for yourself your own um, that God will change your heart I guess Um, and uh, I was thinking of one of the questions too that you had asked uh, uh, about how do you really know if you've forgiven someone and um, I, would, I, I was thinking back to one of Pastor Zach's earlier sermons about um, how he, um, uh, or about a particular verse, I guess, in Psalms, where you actually have permission to pray for, that somebody will be miserable if it will change their life. And um, I use that as a test. Okay, so if I'm going to pray that somebody is miserable, will be miserable so that God can reach them. If I get some little bit of satisfaction out of that, I know I probably haven't forgiven them. (laughs) And if I get joy out of it, I'm probably sick and need help. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Leo, last comment here. And just let's remember that we have a great high priest who is a counselor, he's a psychiatrist, he's a helper, he's a comforter. And if you have a, a situation you just don't know how to handle, um, you know, you just, you just can walk up into the most holy place in front of all the holy angels and you can just tell God, tell Jesus your, your story. And there's a verse that I think a lot of us, our young people, have a really hard time believing. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are having to labor, and I will give you 
rest. And a lot of the way we think that God's going to give us a hard time, like God's up there with a billy club. No, God the Father is the same as Jesus. He wants to pull us into his love. And we have somebody who has trod our steps in a body just like ours who knows how to help us. And I think the more we can focus on God's forgiveness for us, the more it really impacts our hearts to be able to offer that for other people. And I know personally, when you receive forgiveness, or even when I've asked forgiveness of someone, even if, regardless of whether they forgive me or not, the weight that just rolls off of you, it feels so good just to say, I'm so sorry. And I know this week, actually, even in preparing for this, Zach and I were just praying, like, God, search our hearts. Is there anything we need to ask forgiveness for? And just as God would bring that to mind, we would ask people's forgiveness And it feels so good. It's like the children's story. You know, it's like when you're holding that stuff in and it just eats at you. Or even if you feel like, I didn't do something that bad. If you just ask forgiveness, if you let God take that, it's amazing the joy that he can give. So thank you all so much for sharing. Appreciate it. A lot of good stuff there. I hope you're taking good notes, a lot of words of wisdom, a lot of stories, a lot of life experience there. And I'm sure if we had more of you sharing, we could hear a lot more of that. But this last week, I found out that my youth pastor friend from back in high school, friend I call him now, right? <laughs> I'm trying to practice forgiveness. The one that I was so angry with that I would beat in the locker. He's on Facebook. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I should reach out to him. Maybe I should tell him how how much he offended me. Maybe I should rebuke him for, for the way he treated a high school student. And as I was praying about it, I added him as a friend on Facebook. And I thought about our experience and I said, you know what? I doubt he has any idea that he did anything to me. But I bet he knows that I was upset. I bet he saw the way that I treated him in the basketball game. I bet that I didn't even realize it, but I was probably the one that was most at fault in that situation. So I typed him an e- a, a message on Facebook saying, I'm just great to connect with you again. And then I wrote some specifics about how I treated him in basketball and different things. And I said, I'm just sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. And there is so much peace that comes from that. And as he wrote back, he wrote back this long message just like, wow, it's really great to hear from you. And, and I, don't, I never hold things against youth when they do stuff, but it's really big of you to be able to say something like that. And it was just this generous email. And in fact, he said, if you're ever in our area, we live near the mountains and you can, you and your wife come and we'll treat you well here. And I've been hanging on to that for years and not even really recognize it. It's kind of been there in the back of my mind. But God wanted to bring reconciliation and he longs to bring that in all of our relationships, in all of our experiences. He wants to bring that healing and that beautiful reconciliation. So as we wrap up here, I just want to look at a few things that forgiveness is and that forgiveness is not. We heard some of them, and we're going to look at them here just briefly. Uh, first of all, from, from this book, Forgiveness, Forgive to Live, there's a list of things that it says forgiveness is not. And I encourage you to get this book again if you want to look from a psychological perspective, not necessarily biblical. But I want to put this up on the screen. First of all, forgiveness does not necessarily mean forgetting. Now, we talked about that, and I think it's a really good thing, what we talked about of not dwelling on it, teaching our thoughts to go in a different direction. But in reality, you may not totally forget it, and that doesn't mean that you haven't fully forgiven a person. So, not necessarily that it's forgetting. And the second thing is that it, forgiving does not imply that it's okay. Forgiveness does not imply that it's okay. If you hit forward, it may come forward. There should be the two bullets there. So for, when you forgive somebody, you may think, I can't forgive this person because they don't even recognize that what they did was wrong. I can't forgive this person because... But that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to forgive. And that doesn't mean we're saying what they did is okay. It doesn't mean that we're going to let them continue to do that action. We need to set boundaries. Jesus himself, when he forgave the woman caught in adultery, said, I don't condemn you now set a a boundary to keep them out of that harmful situation. And we can set boundaries in our relationship. But what does forgiveness look like? So there's this fascinating quote by Thomas Watson. 
Hopefully this one will come up. There we go. From the body of divinity. I, I read this in a sermon by John Piper. Talking about forgiveness, what forgiveness looks like. He says this, When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. That's when we know that we have forgiven. So let's look at those real fast, just going through one by one. First of all, resist thoughts of revenge. Is that biblical? Romans 12 and verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So there's this twinge in us when somebody's done us wrong, that we just want to make them feel the hurt that we've felt. We want to take away what they took away from us. The Bible says, surrender it to me. Let me take care of judgment. Number two, don't seek to do the mischief. Is that biblical? 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. If you were, went through the study this last week looking at, Mel, at Mephibosheth and how David treated him, hopefully you saw how that goodness lavished on somebody who might have ill feelings towards you. That is one of the best things that you can do for your enemies. That's one of the best things you can do for somebody that's hurt you is just pour out goodness, love, kindness on them because it melts hearts. Number three, wish them, wish well to them. Bless those who curse you, Matthew 5.44 says. For some reason I skipped in here, pray for them. I think that's a crucial part. Wanting to see the best in their lives and praying for them. The more you pray for somebody, the more that you begin to desire their good. The more that you pray for somebody, the more that you're going to find your heart change. And just a couple more here. Seek reconciliation. Uh, Number four, grieve at their calamities. Is that biblical? Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Number five, seek reconciliation with them. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 12, 18. And finally, number six, be always willing to come to their relief. There's this, this law that was given in Exodus. It's this beautiful picture of how we should treat our enemies. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away. It's a little hard for us to comprehend, but imagine you see your enemy is now vulnerable and that you could hurt them by simply not acting for their good. Does that make sense? Maybe you see your coworker has made a mistake. Your coworker has done you wrong so many times and you could Help them correct that mistake, or you could point it out to the boss so that they get in trouble. What do you do in that moment? If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Don't just let the ox go, but do him good. Bring it back to him. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will do our enemies no mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them, then we've really forgiven. But remember, the foundation, the ground of forgiveness, that is not in this heart. As I wanted to love like that, but I was praise God through the power of the gospel, through recognizing the forgiveness that he gives to us, he can give us that foundation, that unmerited love in our own lives. We don't deserve it, just like the guy who had his debt forgiven. When we recognize that you have had all of your sins paid for on the cross, when you recognize that, it makes it so much easier to forgive those who you want to hold accountable. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we go to the cross every single day, that's what I neglected as a high school student is going to the cross. But when we go to the cross and we allow that forgiveness to sink in, We no longer live, but Jesus can be the one to love. Jesus can be the one to 
pray for that person. Jesus can be the one in us that's doing good to other people. And that's good for the big things, but it's also good for the little things. When your wife does that thing that annoys you so much, go to the cross. When your child is acting up again, go to the cross. When your coworker continues to do the same thing and you don't know how you could forgive him again, go to the cross. Because that's the only way that we truly can forgive. I know that, and I've seen it, the difference that it made in my own life. As I took that long drive back to my house, it was only 45 minutes, but it felt like an eternity that was the shortest eternity that I've been through. As I was anticipating the anger that would be in my mother's heart. In that same time period, my mother was on her knees praying, asking God, what do I do with this son who's, ah, she was angry with me. As she went to God and she was praying, saying, how could he have done this? How could he have cheated? How could he have gone through and done these types of things? Suddenly, God began to tell her, you need to ask me what it is about you that's caused your son to do this. She said, I don't want to pray that, but fine. Okay, what is it about me? She didn't want to really ask God, but as she asked God, what it is about me that has created this in Zach? God impressed something on her. In my eyes, it was something really small. But it was something that her example that she felt like had led me to the point where I was willing to cheat on exams and do the things that I had done. So you imagine what happens for this 17, 18-year-old as I walk into the living room expecting that my mom is angry with me. And she says, Zach, sit down on the couch. Here it comes. I know what's coming. I know I'm in for it. We sit down on the couch, and she begins to apologize to me for the example that she's given to me. What do you think that did to my heart? I was ready to defend myself. I was ready to point out that the guy was looking at my test. I wasn't looking at his test. I had all the reasons marked out, but it didn't matter anymore. I could barely hold back the tears because I was experiencing forgiveness through experiencing somebody apologizing to me. So today, as you walk out of here, I want to encourage you. Don't be pointing at that person who you wish had heard this sermon. Don't just go and get them the recording. You can do that too if you want. But like Stephen talked about, first of all, let's look at our own hearts. Give me a new heart, God. Make me tenderhearted. Open my eyes to the ways that I have hurt people so I can make it right. Would you join me in praying with that that prayer as we close? Father, we just pray right now that you would work this healing in our hearts. We know that it is harmful to hang on to bitterness and anger, and we want to be healed. We don't know how, but we've come to the cross, to the one who has forgiven us everything. Father, would you impress upon our hearts right now, I pray in the silence of our own hearts, that you would just impress upon us maybe somebody that we could specifically go and ask forgiveness of. Or maybe somebody that we need to go to and and work out reconciliation. I don't know what it is, Father, but I pray that we would Make a commitment before we walk out of here as you impress our hearts now. Father, don't let us stop praying this prayer now, but may we continually allow you to search our hearts. May we keep praying that you would give us a new heart. Thank you so much. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins so that you could give us the freedom to go out and forgive other people. Lord, may we walk in that liberty today, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.